Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We have been reading the Psalms of Ascents together this summer. Those are collected between Psalms 120 and 134, and they're usually thought of as songs that God's people sang on their uh, pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the yearly festivals. So that makes them uh, songs for the road, songs for uh, the journey of the faithful ones. And we've been reading them like that too, as songs for our life of faith together. And we have a couple more weeks of reading these together, but even though that's the case, we're going to read this morning the the last one in the collection. I think it might be easy as you hear it to imagine that it could be the song that was sung on the final night of the pilgrimage, the song that was intended to go home with everyone. We just sang uh, Psalm 134 together. And I will read it for us now. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we just heard that prayer in the gospel lesson that Jesus prayed, where he thanked you for hiding things from the wise and the powerful, and praised you for revealing them to little children. And so we ask, Father, that every one of us in here, uh, no matter how we find ourselves as we walk in, that we would become like little children, that we would have the ear of faith, the anticipation, and the trust of a little child, that you would, through this word that we're going to talk about uh, together, that we've just heard together, that you would meet us with the eternal word who bears our flesh, the one who's praying for us now. Show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it. And we prayed in his name. Amen. Well, a, uh, a few years ago, the, the elders and the pastors went on a retreat together. We actually try to do that uh, every year if we can. And the place that we went to a few years ago uh, had a ping pong table in the basement. <clears throat> and when we went out uh, for dinner together on that first night, we talked about playing some ping pong once we got back to the house uh, after dinner. And when we did get back to the place, Dave Dillon, uh, one of our elders who was playing bass and singing right over here a minute ago, uh, he asked me if, uh, if I would play him first. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I, was a little, I was a little worried because I didn't want to make him look bad in front of everybody. But I also didn't want to have to hold back on my own formidable skills as a ping pong player. I played a bunch when I was growing up. I, I even saved up and bought myself a nice paddle because I didn't want to have to use someone else's scrubby paddle if I could avoid it. So what I figured is I was going to start slow with him and see how things shaped up. We volleyed for serve and we started to play. And again, uh, I will be honest with you here, not because I want to at this point, but because I have to. I don't think I scored more than two points in that game. I mean, I might not have even scored two. It might have been just one. He tore me up so thoroughly and so easily that I could not think straight. 
I pulled out everything I knew, and I was absolutely outplayed at every single turn. Serve was blazing. His spin was incomprehensible to me. Now here is the thing uh, that I had forgotten in that moment when I took up the offer to play, and that is that Dave grew up in Japan. And uh, in case you don't know, table tennis is a pretty big deal in Japan. He had uh, probably played hundreds and hundreds of more games than I had against way better opponents than me. And so when I, uh, when I remembered all that after the fact, I felt a little bit like George Foreman at the Rumble in the Jungle getting rope-a-doped by Ali. You can look that up later if you don't know what I mean. But the point is this, we were not on equal footing, not at all. And you know, when we read this psalm together, um, maybe you heard a little bit of that in there, this uh, not on equal footing thing. I mean, the very first line uh, in that psalm is, come, bless the Lord. Come and bless the Lord. And maybe that sounds a little bit weird to you. And if it sounds weird to you, I don't blame you a bit. How are we going to bless God? How are we possibly going to add something to God? How can we lend God something that he doesn't already have? How can we bless him? Because we are not on equal footing. Not at all. (laughs) Now, the last line of that song starts like this. May the Lord bless you. And that sounds right. That sounds right on the face of it. It makes more sense. It feels a little off to think that we might bless God, that we would bless God. But there it is right there in front of us. There it is, God himself inviting us to do it. So I want us to think about what that means because here's the truth, church. That's what we have been made for and it is for our good forever. So that's the first line. That is the first line of the song. Come and bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. This is a song for the evening when all of the, uh, all of the stuff that's busy the day, all of the stuff that's occupied the day is put aside. And I, I kind of love that image. The sun has set. No one is exactly sure who these uh, servants of the Lord in uh, the night watch are. Sometimes the word servant is used generally in the Old Testament to refer to all of God's people, especially when they worship together like they would be here on a pilgrimage. That word could also mean the Levites, you know, the priestly assistants who who had to work the night shift. You know, those guys, uh, they had to keep an eye on the place. They had to tidy up after everyone had left. They had to keep the lamps lit. They had to keep the fires kindled for the next day's sacrifices. It could be them. Or it could refer to individual folks who, for reasons known only to themselves, just hung around the temple courts after everyone else went away to pray, to meditate, to soak in the beauty of the place. At the end of Luke 2, we're told about a widow named Anna, a prophetess, who liked to stay in the temple all the time, worshiping, as Luke says, with prayer and fasting night and day. Now, my suspicion, church, um, because poetry, (laughs) is that maybe it means all those people, anybody, who hung out to stay in the temple after everyone else left. And this is their even song, and it's ours too. 
So that's the summons to these second shift folks, these third shift folks. Bless the Lord. Now, blessing uh, in Scripture usually comes from God to us. And blessing is usually a concrete thing with observable effects. Blessing is not usually considered just some state of happiness. Although when blessing comes, often happiness and joy and peace come with it. Blessing means the power to grow and the power to thrive in this world. That's what blessing is, and it looks like something. Animals are healthy, and they produce strong offspring, and animals do what they're supposed to do when they're blessed. And crops, crops and harvests, they're verdant, and they're healthy, and they produce bountifully when they are blessed. And people, people like us, people like you and me, we are wise and we're strong, and we care for our families and our neighbors and our communities and friends. That's what happens when we are blessed. Just think about the benediction that you sometimes hear one of the pastors say at the end of the service. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. That is blessing, and it's pretty obvious we need that. <laughs> we definitely need that. I need that. You need that. We, we need that. And it's proper and it's right. And it's the most natural thing in the world to ask God for it. Please bless us, God. So we'll come back to that. But first we have to recognize something else that's pretty obvious. And that is that God doesn't need any of that from us. <laughs> Not any of it. So what does it mean when God asks us to bless him? Well, the root of that word is related uh, to knees and to kneeling. And so in the supple way that language works, I think that's what's going on here. We are being called to worship him. Not to add anything to him, not to lend anything to him, but to give him thanks for all that he already is. And church, that's what worship is. It is the proper response of human beings to God. In Scripture, in Scripture, nature itself is pictured as doing that. These are some of my favorite texts in Scripture. Mountains and hills break out into song. The trees of the forest clap their hands. The great sea creatures and all deeps and fire and hail and wind and snow, they all praise him. Creeping things and birds and fruit trees and stately cedars and the sun and the moon and the stars, none of these things can keep quiet about him. They never stop. And I think scripture gives us all of those images so we see patterns for ourselves in them because the particular gift of God to humans, church, listen, the particular gift of God to humans is that we have been made for it. Nature can't help it. <laughs> but we have been made in his image. Trees aren't made in his image, we are. The deeps are not made in his image, we are. And this means, this means that it is the particular and special providence of humans to offer worship to God willingly. And that means the opposite is true too. It means we can withhold it if we want to. God has made us and only us, only us like that. 
That's true of everybody in every place, whether they have faith in him or not, whether they even think he is around or not. We have been made to know him. We have been made to be known by him. And we have been made to feel as if something is missing when we are not in communion with him. I mean, this is so true that it feels like you don't even need to say it. (laughs) This truth about what it means to be human is enshrined in most of the stories we tell ourselves day after day. It's enshrined in the films we watch. It's enshrined in the poems that we read. And even if you never tell a story or read one or ever watch a film or make one, even if you never write a poem or read one, you still know that it's true when you're free of distraction and you just sit quietly for a minute. And you just sit and let everything settle around you. And you know, you can have all the stuff that you think makes up a good life. All of it. Whatever that is for you. A good family and health and friends and a nice vocation. And resources and the time to use those resources and some baubles and some trinkets to entertain you. And a useful place of service. You can have all of that stuff and you can still feel like something is missing. Because without worship, it is missing. The one needful thing is missing. God made us to share his life with us. (laughs) He made us to share his life with us. What he wants is us. And one of the places where that happens preeminently is in worship. We share the goodness of God's life in worship. You know, our, our confession, our, our uh, confession distills this down into a really helpful and really memorable question. I know that lots of you know it. What is our chief end? What are we here for? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's just the absolute truth that beats at the heart of our faith, church. And listen, God has made everything possible to make that happen. He's made everything possible so that we could enjoy him forever. In Jesus, God came down to do all that was necessary to share his life with us. He made himself known to us in Jesus. That final word as the one who is with us and the one who is for us and for our good. And in his cross and his resurrection, he offers forgiveness of sins and he offers mercy. He straightens that way. He knocks down all the stuff that stood between us so that we could have access to that shared life. And in Jesus' ascension and the gift of the Spirit, he is working every day, drawing us closer and closer into his life, more fully up into his life. And one day with unveiled faces, as St. Paul says, we will behold his glory forever. That is the end goal of the pilgrimage, church. That's where the journey of the faithful ends. He is our pilgrimage. He is our pilgrimage. And so the faithful are called to journey there in worship. It should be the thing around which all of the rest of our life bends and conforms. We worship him now together like we are on Sundays. 
and we worship him with every breath and every action and every intention and all of our recreation and all of our entertainment when we are not together. And when we do this, when we do this, I promise you will see, I promise you, the more that the gratitude of worship becomes the rhythm of our lives, the more that thing that felt mysteriously, naggingly missing, it will be found. It's the truth. We're made for it. And I know that it's work. I know that worship is work. I mean, and there's a lot in our world that conspires against people like us ever doing any worship, right? Endless distraction and busyness, for one thing. The fantasy that is propagated that we live in a closed world and what we make of ourselves, if we're going to make anything of ourselves, is all up to us for another thing. It's killing us. And it makes us uh, forget worship or see it as needless. And that's why scripture is filled with all of, these, all of these calls to worship like the one that we're reading now. That's why I think verse 2 adds this physical, bodily element to worship. Lift up your hands to the holy place. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. We are not as they say, brains on a stick. That's not who we are. We have bodies and engaging our body in worship is a way to hopefully begin to engage our heart, our whole selves in it as well. That's why church, we stand and sit a lot when we're together on Sundays. I know it's a lot. I know if your knees hurt, it's a lot, I know. But that's why we stand and sit all of the time. That's why we don't just listen to other people talk and listen to other people sing when we are together on Sundays. That's why we all sing and we all talk. That's why everyone who can gets up and we all walk up together to get the sacrament. That's why at the end of the service, one of the pastors lifts up their hand to say a blessing from God to the people. And that's why many of you open your hands to receive it. Sometimes, you know, you don't, you don't want to lift up your heart to God in thanks. And so that's okay because every Sunday one of the pastors is going to say, lift up your hearts. <laughs> and then you guys are going to say, we lift up our hearts. And then we're going to say together, it is right to do this. We all need that. Listen, I, I know that we're Presbyterians. And we have a bit of a reputation that precedes us, the frozen chosen and all that. But if we overlook our bodies in worship, we are only engaging God with one little sliver of our humanity. So listen, you, you can hold up your hands when we're singing if you want. I promise no one is going to detain you. <laughs> you can hold your hands out for the benediction if you want. You can receive it with your body if you want. When you get served communion, you can speak something back if you want. You can say thanks or thanks be to God or praise him or something else. You can say that. You know, for all kinds of reasons, church, sometimes our bodies are the only things that get here. <laughs> it's the only thing we can really bring into worship because we're exhausted or we're sad about something or we're angry or we're distracted about something. Sometimes it's just our body that can get in here. And so the song says, okay, 
lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And then the psalm ends where gathered worship always ends with a benediction, with a good word from God to his people. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And since this long song is the last one collected in the Psalms of Ascent, it's easy to imagine that it was intended to go with the people back home, that this was the, this was the song that went back out to wherever they had come from. They've come to praise God, and now they leave with that blessing to go out into the world. And like I said, I think about every week we've talked about one of these Psalms of Ascent, the people who sang this song first, they did not know all of the details of it, but they sang it anyway, and they did it in faith. They didn't know. They didn't know how God's blessing was going to spread out from Zion into the whole world. They had no idea. They had no idea how blessing their little teeny tiny family would one day mean that God would share his life with all the families of the world. They didn't know. We do, though. The Apostle Peter told us that everyone who follows Jesus in faith has been brought into a priesthood. We are the priesthood together. That's who we are. And and as the author of Hebrews tells us, as we heard in the New Testament lesson, through faith in Jesus, we've gone to Zion too. You know, maybe not to the physical one, not to the earthly one, but to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. With the ascended Jesus, we have already been seated in the heavenly Jerusalem with innumerable angels and festal gathering. And we have seen Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. (laughs) That's where we've been, church, through faith in the ascended Jesus. That's where we're seated with him right now. And so we are the ones who go out from here sharing God's life. We are the ones who go out from here with the blessing of God over us. We're the ones who go out like he did, (laughs) giving our lives for the life of the world. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you (laughs) that you have made your great mysteries known to us, not all of them for sure. But this mystery of how the blessing that you give in Zion spreads out to the whole world. And uh, I ask that you would give us whatever it is that we need, the strength, um, the tenacity to believe that it's us somehow (laughs) in the power of your spirit. And so we ask, Father, that you would make us a people that, that, who worship, that you would call out worship from us, that you would remind us again and again that you say, bless God, and that we would gratefully do it so that we could grow up in our faith and be strengthened in our faith so that we could be a people through whom you've loved this broken world. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.